Episode 90, Bob Rush, Manufacturing Consultant. The biggest lean project you will ever work on is yourself. <laughs> How do I make myself better? How do I make myself more customer-centric? I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links, show notes, and more information, go to markgraben.com slash mistake90. As always, thanks for listening. And we're joined today by a friend of mine. I'm really happy that uh, Bob Rush is here. He is currently a management consulting with his firm, Bob Rush Consulting. He has a, a long history. I'm hoping you don't mind me saying long history, Bob. <laughs> no, it's okay. I think it's stating <laughs> a fact. I respect Bob's uh, experience in uh, the manufacturing world. We've got um, similar uh, professional backgrounds and experiences. And, and Bob was also one of the contributors um, like Jamie Parker, who was in episode eight of um, the podcast, Bob was a contributor to our book, Practicing Lean. So uh, with, with that, Bob, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good. Good. Glad to be here. Glad to be anywhere nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad that we're doing a podcast. I, I've asked Bob a number of times over the years, so I'm glad you finally said yes. I hope this ends up, I don't think it'll be a mistake. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> It may be on your part, but not mine. <laughs> no, I, I'm not expecting that at all. So okay. Um, so we're going to be able to delve into all kinds of different topics around, um, you know, workplace culture and uh, mistakes and and learning. But as we always do here, Bob, I'll I'll tee you up um, to tell your story. What is your favorite mistake? Okay. Well, mine. I'm going to tell a little bit of of story, and you've heard part of it. I discovered lean by accident. Um, I had a client that sent me to Boeing to learn about lean from Shingajitsu. And uh, I did a Kaizen event and started working with it and picked up along the way, I picked up a sensei um, who taught me the ins and outs of it. And he taught me more than I knew. Um, and it took me a while to realize it. So, so my favorite mistake is I didn't, realized that lean is actually a system. It's, it's not a toolbox, although there is a toolbox to it. It's a system. It's a management system. Right. And I didn't realize that. I mean, the day I discovered it, I had an epiphany and my sensei, um, although he claimed not to speak English, um, every now and then would slip up and, and speak in English and pretty good English, but through the interpreter, um, explained very graciously that he knew I would figure it out like that. And then later the interpreter pulled me to the side that said, that said the sensei actually said, I thought he'd get it a lot sooner than he did. <laughs> so, so I um, started, I mean, once you start thinking like that, it really opens up everything. And I mean, you realize that this is a totally different world than what you're used to. Um, and I tell everybody that uh, I served in Vietnam and when I discovered Buddhism in Vietnam, when I came home, uh, I was fortunate enough to link up with a 
a Zen master who was also an army veteran. We met through the VA. So, and he got me started on Zen. Um, so I had this background and lean is, is an exercise in Zen existence. Um, it's about the here and now. And it's about um, the old saying, good enough rarely is, is wrong. Good enough is good today. It won't be good enough tomorrow, maybe, but it's good enough today. As long as I fix something, then it's good enough and I'll, I'll keep working on it. So once I realized that, it just took over and, and expanded. So, uh, and I think I told you, I'm mentoring a guy here in, in town in Murfreesboro. And he, um, I challenge people that want me to mentor them. Um, for one, it's a two-way street. So I want to make sure that they understand that. Um, so, and he'd ask questions and I'd always give him an assignment to go away. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. And one of my favorite challenges for people is tell me about the biggest project you've ever worked on. What is the biggest project you ever worked on? And everybody except him brought me data from their project. Oh, I did a Kaizen on this. I did a SMED event and did this. He came back and he says, this is probably the wrong answer, but the biggest project I'll ever work on is myself. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And he is absolutely correct. The biggest lean project you will ever work on is yourself. <laughs> it's, how do I make myself better? How do I make myself more customer centric? Um, so he is learning about lean as a system. So originally he started out with specific questions about tools. And, you know, you can build a, a knowledge of tools and probably not really get the essence of lean. So you need to understand it as a system that it's a, and it's a management system. This is not, you know, a little operational system somewhere. This is a management system. Everybody's involved in it. Everybody's linked. Um, you know, upwards and, and, and downwards both. So, and, and the truly successful organizations that's understood. Um, you know, I always use Danaher. They train their people so well and their managers, you know, from frontline supervisors to CEOs are intimate with lean. They really are. They understand it. They understand the power of it. They understand how to use it. So, that was my biggest mistake was doing that. And as my sensei said, I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out. Well, so. that's, that's a good reflection. And I, I think there's a lot that we can um, unpack there. Um, one um, follow-up question, Bob, um, you know, a lot of our audience might not be familiar with uh, quote unquote lean manufacturing or, the, or this mm -hmm. lean methodology. So you, okay. you mentioned um, SMED as a, as a tool. Mm -hmm. uh, we won't get into the details of this, but single minute exchange of dyes. That's a yes. fairly technical methodology that could be taught even outside of the context of what you're describing as uh, the system or the culture that comes from Toyota. What, what's your elevator speech version if someone comes up to you and says, well, Bob, what, what, what is this lean system? What do you mean by a system? Okay. Lean system. Um, it, it is a way of communicating within an organization to improve the focus towards customer value. And there are tools that will help you with customer values. SMED, single minute exchange of die. If you can um, reduce your setup time, for example, um, you can increase, increase your throughput. 
Um, and of course, you know, side benefit of that is you'll reduce your cost. Um, machine down for any reason costs money. So you can go through it. What it is, is from the top down, everybody's understanding that we're, we're focused on the customer, truly focused on the customer, and that we're going to do what we need to do. So high level, um, I've always asked, how do you explain lean to CEOs? Uh, CEOs need to know that they're a leader in it. They don't have to do every tool to be effective at it, but they have to understand it. So the biggest change in a lean system is that listening becomes the greatest asset for a leader. It goes away from telling people to listening to people and then enabling them to do things. You've heard me, my speech about respect for people. So that's what it, you got to get to that point where, you know, the CEO, we've all seen videos from Japanese companies where the CEO is polishing the floor because he adds value by polishing the floor so his employees can do their job. So it's a, it's a system that enables decision-making at the lowest possible level. So um, CEOs should be strategic in five years. I want to be here. I want to you know, introduce a new product into this market. I want to do things like that. The organization then should be capable of doing those things. And I, I've had the good fortune to see firsthand on, on two different trips to Japan, mm-hmm. um, the CEO of an electronics manufacturer, um, literally at like 730 in the morning, um, being in work attire, uniform, mm-hmm. just like his employees, and yep. being the first one down on his hands and knees yep. with a rag and a bucket washing the floor. And, and I think there's a lot about... You know that that's that organizational culture of of humility and yep. leading by example and and servant leadership and and even discipline about I mean you know he's showing us like well you know here's exactly how you wring out the rag yeah yeah I mean there's I flew halfway around, I flew halfway around the world for this but yeah. it's, it's fascinating yeah. and uh, it's a cultural thing but it it works so and you know anybody that's been in lean for any time has heard the words, oh, it works in Japan, it'll never work here. But that's not true. It's not true. I've seen it work here in, in multiple places. So you get those leaders that that really truly get it. Um, you know, and CEOs, bless their little souls, tend to be egotistical, right? They rose to the top. So, and there's a reason why I'm the the big guy. So the smart ones realized that they were lucky along the way, that they had a tremendous amount of help uh, along the way. The guy that encouraged me most, uh, the boss that I had that encouraged me most on my lean journey, told me one time, the easiest way to get a promotion is to be pushed up by your people. Make them so good, the company recognizes and they will find something for you. And he was absolutely right. Um, he and I were both brought in to turn around a small division of a huge conglomerate. Um, and both of us ended up moving up rather rapidly to take over large, larger groups. So, I mean, I started out uh, with a manufacturing group of 100. And by the time I was done, it was at almost 3,000. Um, we had uh, acquired companies that just got incorporated. 
into us, you know, you know, the benefits of lean, right? You can, can produce more with the same resources, right? And, and without stressing people out. <laughs> well, you know, they should go home feeling good about what they did. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about cultures. Culture that sends people home happy and healthy is a good culture. They should not go home worrying about their jobs or worrying about a mistake. You know, they should go home happy that they accomplished something that um, even if they made a mistake, that there's a culture that'll support them on it as long as they learn from it. You know, I'm a big fan of making mistakes. Um, and a couple of my stops in my career, I actually had a reward for the biggest mistake. Who made the biggest mistake? And would reward them, you know, gift certificates or something like that. So, um, and people soon realized that if you could laugh about a mistake, you could tell people about mistakes. Um, you've known me long enough to know I love to laugh. And people will, you know, if they're comfortable enough to laugh with you, they're comfortable enough to tell you the bad things. So it, sometimes it takes a while, but, but you got to do it. That's part of the culture. Yeah. So um, I've, I've jotted a note. We'll, we'll come back to that idea of um, you know rewarding uh, mistakes. I, I wanted to ask a little bit more. You know, thinking back to the teaching style mm -hmm. um, of the people from Shingojitsu who oh yeah <laughs> who, who, was it, is it fair to say they were exclusively ex Toyota or just predominantly? Well, when I first hooked up with them, they were ex Toyota. Um, it was a requirement. Um, and when I started with them, this was in uh, my first exposure to them was 1991. So these, they were all guys that had worked with Ono. Yeah. So, I mean, Taichi, they were exposed Taichi to Ono. Yeah. yeah, Taichi. So he, um, you know, and he was a driver. These guys were drivers. Although the group, you know, they splintered. The group that I followed were the guys that thought that abusing people was not the way to go. If you truly believed in respect for people. Why would you abuse them? Why would you make fun of them if they did something wrong or something like that? And there's still um, people within Shingojitsu and that have been trained by Shingojitsu that believe in that. The, the smart ones don't believe in it. And I mean, it made perfect sense to me. Um, if you really want people to perform, they, they've got to be comfortable. It's, it's a big thing. You know, it's funny to me. As managers, we're, we're taught or encouraged to take emotion out of the workplace. Yet a workplace is one of the most, uh, most emotional places you'll ever be. Shouldn't we manage it? Shouldn't we help guide it towards where we want the emotions to be? Yep. Well, I mean, people are emotional. So you imagine mm -hmm. telling people, don't be human. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. Stop doing what you think you should do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. 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 They... Um, I, yeah, they were Toyota guys, so they had a certain way of doing things. Um, you know, we hooked up at when I was with Tesla, and the people there had been trained by Toyota, some of them. And I could tell the difference between the guys that had been trained by what I call first-generation Toyota and the second-generation Toyota. It was There was a little difference. Results were pretty much the same. Tools were kind of used the same. It was the approach to it. Um, so I, I've interviewed um, a former Toyota leader from Australia. Mm -hmm. 
And he talked about that split. It was, mm-hmm. that there was that um, divergence within Toyota. And um, I forget if he used the word humanistic. I think he did. Yeah. yeah. So there, there was that, that humanistic camp kind of won out. Mm-hmm. And, and that there was a shift um, internally within the Toyota corporate culture, um, for, you know, uh, focusing on, on developing people and yep. respecting people. And you can still be a driver. Yeah. And yeah. it's not about being nice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I want them to respect me. If they like me in addition to respecting me, that's okay. Um, but they have to respect me. And I think the easiest way to get respect is to show people, number one, that you give respect, but that you actually have their interests at heart. You know, it's not my career. It's your career I'm worried about. So and that was, um, you know, part of this epiphany as a system thing is everybody is a coach. So it's funny. I know you and I have talked about this. Um, So I called my sensei sensei. And towards the end of our time together, he let me know that he never liked being called sensei. He liked, he, he just, and he, he told me many times that um, there's no experts in lean. There's just people that have been at it longer. And those people owe it to the other people to pass that knowledge on. So and then he also admitted that sensei is a term of respect, and he understood that, but he he much preferred to be called friend. And um, and you know this as a fact for me. I take that very serious. So I'd rather be called friend than sensei. So, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And, and um, my understanding of the term and how it's used, like you could choose to call that person sensei. Yeah. I could choose to call you sensei. You are not a sensei as if it's a job title. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's more a teacher. So, you know, the relationship and it's a relationship, this is not, you know, we're going to go into a a conference room and he's going to draw diagrams on a whiteboard, although they use whiteboards, you know, to show people, but really it's a relationship of two people that are exploring things together. And it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, related to the production floor. It could be in career development or your own personal development. Um, Yeah, my sensei was big on acceptance. We have to learn to accept things um, and we have to understand what is. We know what could be and we know what was, but what we have to accept is what is. Whatever it is, whether it's a you know a problem on the assembly line, or it's a problem in your personal thinking, it is. It just is, and just fix that. Don't worry about what was or what will be. So he focused us on that. So interesting. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. So I wanted to ask one, you know, the, the question about their teaching style. Hmm? Of, of saying, you know, I knew or I thought that you would figure it out. Uh-huh. Can, I was wondering if you can kind of elaborate. Like a lot of times training is just so um, rote or deterministic. Yeah. Like I, you sat in a room, I mm-hmm. spewed information at you, and mm-hmm. now I give you a certificate that says you were trained. Yes. But do you really know it? Does Is it part of you, right? Um, and it's funny because 
here's the style of teaching with the sentes. They, um, there is a lot of teaching that is done non-verbally. They expect you to notice things. One of the things I figured out is to follow my sensei's eyes. So, and he, you know, he'd look all over, but when he stopped to look at something, I knew there was a problem. Oh, interesting. And he never told me about it. Never said, oh, look, there's a problem. Oh, look, there's this. He just would do it, right? So you have to do it. There was a, um, the guy I'm mentoring here in, in town is connected and he, and he gets um, questions, lean questions a lot. And he's been dragging me into it. And the state of Arizona is trying to implement lean. And they had some questions for him. So I was on a conference call with them. And we were talking about how to do something. And without even thinking about it, we were on a Zoom call. Without even thinking about it, I wanted to make a point to him. And I just leaned into the camera. And it was funny. The leader of their group picked up on it right away and said, oh, look, this is important. He leaned into the camera. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, boy, that's my sensei, because he would lean into you when it was really important. He would lean into you. Um, and he wasn't trying to intimidate you. It, it was his way of making a point. Um, you know, so they want you to be observant. They want you to, to do it. They want to know that you're going to open up to them because um, they'll be open with you. So he could give me brutally honest feedback. And I knew that it was exactly that. It was brutally honest. It wasn't personal. He wasn't trying to rip me. He was actually the opposite way of trying to help me, but trying to make me understand something. So, yeah. And he taught me just all kinds of little things. I, I um, told somebody recently, um, I did a supplier audit with them. So they had a client that wanted a, an audit system that was lean. So he, he did a supplier audit with their people and he invited me along. Most of my career was spent in supply chain. So he figured, boy, I hope this guy knows something about it. So we went and it was funny because they had the typical conference room, donuts, coffee. Here's our, you know, 82 slide deck about our company. And he just said, no, 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 let's go to the floor because that's where the the product's made, let's go to the floor. And the very first thing he did, and this was a machining area that we went to, he got down on his hands and knees and looked under machines. So, and those of us on the tour thought, is he praying, is he, what's he doing? what is he doing? So, and then I thought, I'm gonna do it too. So I got down and looked and under the machines, it was filthy. It was filthy, oil buildup, you know, cuttings, all kinds of stuff under there. And he just said, um, you know, he told the VP of ops, you're not ready for us. So we'll be back in 30 days, be ready for us. He didn't tell him how to be ready. He didn't give him a, a checklist. He just told him to be ready. Now he assumed one of two things that they would be smart enough to figure out if he got down on his hands and knees, they would be smart enough to get down on their hands and knees and go, oh, wow, yeah, I see what he's talking about. Um, or they wouldn't be, in which case they would be disqualified as a supplier immediately. So, And they were smart enough. They were smart enough. The shop looked a lot better when we came in. So, And then he introduced them to 5S. Well, it's interesting of, of guiding somebody. I mean, a couple of minutes ago, you said something about 
you know, make them learn. Well, nobody can really make you learn, but they can mm-hmm. create conditions where you would figure it out. And, and mm-hmm. you, know, you, you described you had an epiphany. Like, do you yeah. remember what led to your epiphany about this being a system and not a toolbox? Yes. Yes. So um, one of the things that I've talked about my whole career in, in lean in particular is that um, a lot of people get hung up on tools, right? And um, at, at, at Tesla, I came up with the turn of, of uh, punch card lean, right? Somebody would print out the 25 top lean tools. And then they would come to me going, well, I've already done Python. So can you teach me SMED? Check. Oh, can you teach me? You know, and they go down the list. So, um, and early in my career, I realized, not early, it took longer than I expected, but I realized that I was focused on the tools rather than the system of it. And, um, you know, and I was teaching tools, but I wasn't teaching the system to use those tools, right? So when, when, and it was, you know, me in factory. So it was like three o'clock in the morning in some factory. And it just came to me that um, I'm teaching these guys tools, but their managers aren't understanding why they use this tool or, you know, what they should do. And then, I mean, literally, I went back to the hotel, laid down for a bit. And just as I was drifting off, it just hit me that, oh, my, oh, my, I should involve everybody. The CEO should know about this the thing. The uh, manager should know about this, right? So, and I don't care if the CEO knows the tools, as long as he knows who, who does what and he supports them. So, although the smart ones do learn the tools, but so I care about that they know that this is a system, that they're going to implement this thing, that everybody's going to be involved in it. Um, you know, my love of Japan. So, uh, I was with um, Hewlett Packard early in my career in supply chain, and we wanted to learn about the Japanese style of manufacturing in the early 80s. We were doing world-class manufacturing, and we wanted to learn about this. So we're going to go take tours. And we took a tour of a, a relatively small steel mill, um, like a 600-person company. Um, and it was incredible, the level of excitement and involvement of the employees and the um, control charts were, I mean, they were literally up to the minute type stuff. They were, it's, the factory was spotless. It was incredible. So we, we went into the room. There were six of us from HP. And uh, the leader of our group just wanted to know how they got it. And in particular, how did he get quality circles going? Mm-hmm. You know, how did you get them going? Because we struggled. We couldn't get them going. So, and, and, uh, and I'll never forget the interpreter asked the question and the CEO gave his answer. And the, uh, the interpreter turned to us and said um, something along the lines of revered leader <laughs> says that um, quality circles are not mandatory. They're simply a condition of employment. And we died laughing and just realized we could say you have to do this, but if, if you make it a condition of employment, if your culture holds people accountable to partake in the quality circles, then it's it's um, a much better thing. And then when I did the system thing, I mean, it, that just makes sense, right? It's not mandatory. You don't have to do it. 
But if you want to work here, you will do it. And there's a big difference there, right? Um, my favorite boss of all time, I told you about, helped me on my lean journey. And he used to have all these little sayings that just amused us to no end. And one of his sayings was, you or your replacement will do this. <laughs> that seems so, harsh. Yeah. Oh, and he was joking because, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you got um, got terminated by Jeff, you deserved it. You truly deserved it. And if you didn't know it, everybody around you knew it. So one of the things I, I loved about him, uh, he was the best leader I ever worked with. He really was. And he, um, he taught me to spend more time with my A performers than my D performers. And he says, because you'll get better rewards by raising the level of your A performers up than you ever will. Would you rather have an A-plus performer or a C-minus performer? And I said, oh, man, I've been doing this wrong. Oh, my gosh. So, And he was the one that pushed me on my lean journey. He insisted on it. So the first company I got hired at, I had just, I mean, I literally had been doing it maybe two years when I got hired uh, as director of ops there. And he asked me if I knew anything about it. So, and of course, you know, after two years, you think you're pretty good at it. <laughs> so I let him know. Um, and he insisted on it. Then we're going to be lean. We're not going to do, you know, we're not going to do it half-ass. It's what he said. We're going to do it all the way. So does that mean? And one of the rituals he and I have, we both work late. Um, and he would come down to my office every night. We would discuss the day. Here's what happened. Marketing said this. You know, customers had this. We had this return rate. Whatever it was. But the final thing was we would take a gimbal walk. And we had um, easels with pads out there where the people could write down their problems. And he and I would write down problems that we could help with. And then at the end of the night, we go through our list. I'm going to take this one. You're going to take that one. They're going to have to fix that one themselves. Or there were some that we decided would be learning lessons for them. You know, if we let them muddle through it, it'll be okay, but they'll figure it out. So, and that set our plan for the next day. So every place I've been since, I've done gimbal walks at the end of the day, whatever that be. You know, if it's six o'clock at night or four o'clock in the morning, I do a gimbal walk and just, here's what I want to do tomorrow. And, and, and gimbal walk, for those who don't know, is basically just, you know, going out in the <laughs> shop floor, the workplace yeah. and... So I'm using lingo and I shouldn't. I'm, I apologize. That's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, there's nothing to apologize for in terms of the uh, reflections and the stories that you've had to share with us, Bob. But I do have to close the loop on giving rewards um, for <laughs> the biggest mistake because yeah. I, I think you know some listeners would say, well, wait a minute, Bob, that's crazy. If you give people rewards for mistakes, you're only going to end up with more mistakes. Um. And, and my experience has been if you've, if you've started changing a culture towards the respect for people, the people will start getting it. I'm not looking for you to make mistakes. What I'm looking for is you to tell me um, that you made a mistake. And, and the people that worked with me, because I hate the term work for me, um, the people that worked with me, the smart ones figured out, not only did I want to know about the problem, I wanted to know what you're proposing as a solution. Mm -hmm. And if you could come up with a solution, then we're going to work on it together. Um, and I'll help you, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. 
you, you kept asking about teaching, right? That's the teaching moment. Make them go think. Um, lean is a thinking exercise. Um, but not too much thinking because you can overthink it. But so, yeah, yeah, that's what you got to do. What I've seen in different settings is encouraging the speaking up about mistakes. It's not yeah. triggering the rewards, not triggering more mistakes. It's, yeah. it's triggering more speaking up. The mistakes are happening, whether we want to admit that reality or not, which seems to come back to your point about paraphrasing, uh, it is what it is. This is yeah. the real reality right now. Let's accept it. Yeah, and and move on. Of course, I want yeah. it better. That's my job yeah. to make things better. <laughs> yeah. If I don't make them better, then I failed as a leader, and I I, I deserve the termination I'm going to get. So just because you have uh, respect for people and a and a culture that uh, accepts mistakes doesn't mean you have to accept bad performance. You just have to understand the difference. You know, bad performers. Um, they would be the ones that would try to make a mistake to get the reward. But if you really know your system, you have ways of, of knowing those people. They've been identified. And, and uh, so you can understand them. Well, it's well said. A lot of uh, wisdom from our, our guest, Bob Rush. Um, Bob, as, as we wrap up here, uh, I know people can find you on LinkedIn or are, 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 you can, you, I, I first met Bob because he was writing um, great articles on LinkedIn. And that's <laughs> I don't, still, that's also I don't know about great. <laughs> I thought. <laughs> um, but people can find you on LinkedIn and yep. um, Bob Rush Consulting is mm-hmm. the firm. Um, any other suggestions for pe- how people, if they want to well, learn from you or work with you? How can well, they- LinkedIn is the best way, but my email, you can track me down at is bobrush6 at gmail.com. All right. And if you have questions, send it. Um, As part of my learning along the way, um, lean is a pay it forward thing. Yes. So I receive and I have to give. (laughs) So I'm, I'm happy to give. I'll help in any way I can. Well, great. Well, Bob, thank you so much. Uh, it's it's great to talk to you again. It's been a while. I'm glad we could record some of it and share it here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Well, good. Not a mistake then. I think we agree. Okay. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Bob. Okay. Thanks. Again, thanks to Bob Rush for being such a great guest today. To learn more about him and for show notes and more information on the episode, you can go to www.markgraben.com slash mistake nine zero. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me my favorite mistake podcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is my favorite mistake podcast.com.